let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Laura um, and her willingness to share with us this morning. I just pray that you, yeah, you use her as a vessel, Father God, for your purpose. I pray that you give her the words, um, help her to speak from her heart. And yeah, I just pray that you soften our hearts um, and help us to draw closer to you through the words that come out of Laura's mouth. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Sometimes I think it would be nice if God would um, gift parents with an extra set of hands per child that they have, but my prayer hasn't been answered in that sense yet. Um, um, so, all right, um, I would appreciate some help. In that bag there I've got paper and writing implements. Um, just in case there's anything you guys want to jot down. Um, you don't have to, I'm not collecting them, I'm not marking them. But if you, hand me out please. Um, but if you do have something that you put down that you want um, me or the elders to know, by all means um, hand it to me or to one of us at the end and um, know that we will read it and we will process it as well. I know last time I brought lollies as well, um, but because I love you dearly and I care more about your health, I haven't brought any. So I really, I'm looking after you. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give you virtual stars or like virtual high fives if you give good answers or something like that. Or just, I'll send you my love because lollies just didn't happen this morning. Um, and I hope this morning that, um, and pray this morning actually, you don't hear the imperfection in my words, but actually that um, there's a core of Jesus that comes through, because that's my intention. Um, I tried to sum up my core message um, today, and I think, I think I've managed it. Um, and that is, if we take Jesus at his word, we must again wrestle with what it means to do and be the church as a matter of utmost importance because church is absolutely vital for us and our attempts to love God and to love our neighbour. So that's my message in a sentence, hopefully. Um, my first question to you, and feel free to uh, think about it, talk about it, write about it. The first question is, is it more important to care for the sheep in the paddock or for those who are outside of it, wandering and lost in the wilderness? So is it more important to care for the sheep that are already in the paddock or is it actually um, those who are outside the paddock who are wandering or lost, who've, who've walked away from it? Um, and as you think about that, is it true, is it really true that it must be one or the other? What would a worldly perspective be on that? And I was thinking about that and, you know, the world might say, well, it depends how many sheep are in the paddock and how many are out there. Because if you, if you go on logic, 
you'd, you'd care for the ones, you know, maybe there's more in the paddock. So focus your efforts on them and maybe give a little bit to the ones out there, but really focus your efforts where there are more. Or maybe it might be a case of, well, you know, those ones out there who are, who are lost, it's their fault. They got themselves there in the first place. They made bad decisions or they, they, they chose to be there. So do you know what? Don't worry about the effort. It's focus on the ones in the paddock. But what do you think Jesus would say? Uh, I'll come back to the sheep a little bit later, but I do want to say this. Um, that question and the questions I'm going to ask you today, um, it's not a philosophical exercise. Um, it's not about engaging your intellect um, or, you know, testing your um, theoretical understanding. I'm asking you as a way to drill down to the really basic um, foundational stuff about church. See, our answers to some of these questions fundamentally underpin and shape how we might answer some of the questions about church. Where is church? Where should church be and not be? Where and when does church happen? Um, what is church? Is it for the sheep who are already in the paddock or for those who aren't in the paddock yet? Who's church for? Is it more important or more necessary for the sheep in the paddock or those outside? And why church? What's the purpose of church? Does the way, um, does, sorry, does the purpose change for the sheep in the paddock and for those outside? Or is the answer not actually as different as we might think on first reflection? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, which is why I said you didn't have to write down any answers. Um, but I do want to put them out there now. Um, uh, I do want to put them out there now because they are questions that need to be asked. Um, whether or not we personally feel like um, they have obvious answers, they're absolutely no-brainers, um, we still need to ask them because you know what they say about making assumptions, right? Even if we all answered um, a question in exactly the same way, isn't that reaffirming that we're all on the same page? Isn't that unity alone and expressing it really valuable? And if there are some places that we differ, um, isn't that just a reflection of how beautiful the body of Christ is and actually a strength that we have um, different thoughts and perspectives? Um, I'm going to ask you an easier question. Hands up if you have cooking oil in your house. Some kind of cooking oil. I don't care if it's spray or flosh or extra virgin or just olive oil. Or... It's none of that here. Some kind of cooking oil. Cool. Um, okay. Where do you keep it? Yes. In a cupboard next to the oven. <laughs> yes. um, and how do you mostly use that cooking oil, whatever you've got? Um, I remember uh, this newlywed couple, and I love them to pieces, um, joking about one of the very first arguments they had as a married couple. Um, it had nothing to do with the toilet seat or how you put the toilet paper on the holder. Um, it was actually about 
cooking oil and where to keep it. Um, one of them had grown up in a home where the cooking oil lived under the sink um, with the other bottles of wet stuff. Um, it made sense to keep the oil there with the other bottles of liquid. Any mess could be easily cleaned up and after all that under sink area, it's a wet area anyway. So it's a no brainer, right? And then the other person thought that that was a surefire way to end up frying your dinner in morning fresh dishwashing liquid. Um, no, the obvious no-brainer place for cooking oil was in the pantry with the edible stuff. Where do you sit on that? It could become a very divisive issue if we let it be. Um, if we became so fixated on coming up with the one right answer, we could really blow it out of proportion, right? Tradition and convention say this. No, logic says that. Oh, if you're practical, it has to be this. But hold on a second. I do all the cooking. I should get the most say. Or I'm the most eloquent in presenting my reasoning. Or I bought that oil and it's going where I say. Um, but maybe if we take a second and just breathe, uh, we can actually all agree that cooking oil of some kind is a pretty essential household staple item, and where it's kept, within reason, um, is actually a little bit more a preference thing than something that has an absolute right and wrong answer. Um, Maybe in some cases where it's kept is best decided by the one who does the majority of cooking. Um, but maybe it's also dependent on contextual things like how much room there is or um, the overall layout of the kitchen or what container the oil comes in or who needs access to it. And just remember that one, the who needs access to it part. Um, bear with me in this oil thing, it gets to a point. Um, in my household of origin, uh, there wasn't even enough space under the kitchen sink um, for the bottle, bottle of oil that we bought, and so it was stored in the pantry. But as soon as my context changed, when I married Gareth and I moved into a new home with a different kitchen, where I kept the oil just changed because the context changed. And you know what? Sometimes it needs to be sprayed on, and sometimes you splash a glug of it into the fry pan, especially when you're doing a schnitzel and you want to be really crisp, um, or you drizzle it to make a salad. Uh, sometimes you have to, and I hate this, but sometimes you have to measure it precisely and accurately down to the milliliter because it matters. Uh, and sometimes you can be free and just slosh it. How the oil is applied, when it's applied, and how much of it heavily depends on the context in which the oil is being used but the oil itself is non-negotiable. What if I told you that oil is sort of like the gospel? The gospel's non-negotiable. It's absolutely necessary. It stays the same. But some aspects of the way in which it's most effectively spread changes with context. All right, this is one where you're gonna have to switch your brains on, guys. Um, what is the gospel? And when was the last time that you preached it? And if someone asked you right now, 
like the Ethiopian eunuch on the road, asked you right now to explain to them what the gospel is, what would you say? So just for a couple of minutes, either you may want to just write your own sort of script or you may want to find um, a verse of scripture that you often turn to for this or, or that you think really captures the gospel. But if, if you were called to right now explain the gospel to someone as a matter of their eternal salvation, what would you say? So that's my, that's my first question to you where, if you don't mind, just even just have a little think and in your own mind go, yeah, that's the, that's the verse I'd turn to or that's, that's the kind of thing I'd say. If you think by talking, that's okay too. You can talk to someone near you. I don't mind. You can keep writing as I talk, but is there anyone who'd like to share maybe some scripture or something that really jumps out at them when they think gospel, this is one of my go-to, go-to things? Well, God so loved the world. Yeah. John 3.16. And Hillsong do a really great version. They took that John 3.16 scripture and put it in a song. And that's, it just, it's like an earworm that gets stuck in your brain. Any other ones? So John 3.16. I, I don't know if I'm right, but this is how I see it. Yep. John 14.6. All right, and what does that say? Um, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yep. There you go, you guys. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Doesn't even have to be scripture. Romans 5, verse 8. Can you? Yep, so write that down. So Romans 5, verse 8. Can you say that one again? Yeah, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There you go, see? Without even trying, you guys are kind of in tune. Um, so I've been listening to this um, podcast called The Word on the Street, and it's aimed, um, I mean, it, its inception was aimed at um, parents and, and young families, but actually listening to it myself, it's, it's a really good one, and there's a whole series where she described basically the the gospel in some different colours, but I kind of summarised, um, this is what I would say sometimes, um, so God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. He made his creation to be good, very good. In fact, his creation was beautiful and it was perfect. And as a unique part of creation, man was created to have a special relationship with God. The rest of creation was put under man, and man was to be under the loving, good, all-knowing and perfect leadership of God. But tempted with the choice to obey God, surrender and rest in the perfectness of that relationship, to let God be God, 
or to instead elevate ourselves and take the place of God, man chose the latter. Thus, sin, the black stain on perfection was introduced, and the wages or the payment for sin? Death. We proved and still prove time and time again that we could not, cannot deal with the sin that separates us from God. Whether by man's standards, our sin stain is just a little one or a huge one, we are all stained and imperfect. And therefore, we have the same barrier between us and God, sin. He saw this, he knew this, and he loved us still. So much so that he took it upon himself to make it right. And through accepting Jesus' perfect life, undeserved death in our place, and miraculous resurrection, we have salvation. And we're made right again in God's sight. The stain of sin is removed because Jesus paid the full price of the debt that was owed. That's roughly what I would say. But the gospel, the oil is probably should be the thing that we can all agree on, that we're all in tune with, that we all are unified on. And even if you've been a Christian for a short while, we should know what we've been commanded to do with it too. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But wait, there's more. Um, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And don't forget this one, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so as a starting point, I am and we are called to love God with all our heart, soul and mind, love our neighbour as ourselves, preach the gospel to all of creation and make disciples of all nations, baptising them and teaching them to obey Jesus. I'm very thankful that God's grace and mercy is huge because I am barely scratching the surface of those. How about you guys? I'll be honest, I really need church to even have a shred of hope to do those things. In Hebrews uh, 10, it says, oh, verse 23 to 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Church is many things, but one thing it is is key to us living out the commission, the spreading of the gospel. And when I say church, I want to be really explicit and emphasise that I mean the every-day-of-the-week kind of church, which includes but is not to be limited to a Sunday service. Church is vital because it's a mechanism, a means for feeding the sheep in the paddock. But more than that, church, Christ's body made up of each and every one of us and our gifts, our passions, our skills, our strengths, our weaknesses, 
and our resources, it's meant to be a blessing that encourages and strengthens, <coughs> sharpens, prepares, sometimes lovingly rebukes, prunes, nurtures and equips us. And from there, we can live out the command to spread the gospel and make disciples. Um, so, what are the three aspects in our church vision statement? That tagline that we we have. Okay, we don't know it because maybe we don't maybe we don't um, look at it enough and talk about it. But um, to that Sinclair would be a home where people experience, discover, and are transformed by the love of Jesus. So that's the the vision statement that currently our church holds. Whether that needs to be changed or not moving forward, nothing is, well not nothing, but there are very few things that are so precious that we can't talk about them and change them if they need to. But to experience, discover and be transformed by the love of Jesus. For us, the sheep already in the paddock, it's really important that all expressions of church Bible studies, one-to-one discipleship, meeting up for coffee, phone calls, prayer walks, reading scripture together, having meals with one another, play dates, formal services, camps, Sunday school, creche, all of those things, they should be spaces where we, the sheep in the paddock, experience, discover, and are transformed by the love of Jesus. That oil, that staple, non-negotiable, that gospel, that still needs to be there. However long you've called Jesus Lord, however long you've been in the paddock, we all still need the gospel. We all still need church. We still need brothers and sisters to help us to experience, discover and be transformed by the love of Jesus. And in turn, we help our brothers and sisters do that as well. Um, This road that we're on called life, it's all kinds of hard, um, even and sometimes especially because we are followers of Jesus. We desperately need one another. Peter warns us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Loving God and loving others are a daily challenge for us all in different ways. So why church? Because one of its core purposes is to help people in their walk with loving God and loving others. And not just the people in the paddock, not just the people in the church. Those who are outside desperately need help to repent and to reorient their lives toward loving God and others as well. And that oil, it's exactly the same stuff that's needed to do just that. What we can't do, though, is assume. We can't afford to assume that what has been done in the past for success will neatly transfer to today, here with these people. Nor can we simply assume that what has been done is not applicable or not as effective um, as something that's new or different, purely because it's new and different. You know, um, before I was born, Uh, God's people have found themselves on university campuses sharing the message of the gospel, building relationships and sharing the hope that they've found in Jesus. And decades later, it was 
to wonderful people uh, from Sinclair Baptist working as part of yeah, you know working as part of student life at Sydney Uni who also built a relationship with me and you guessed it they told me about Jesus they were empowered by their church and all its expressions to preach the gospel and to go and make a disciple out of me. Because A, through church they regularly experienced, discovered and were transformed by the love of Jesus. And B, that equipped them to preach the gospel to a lost and wandering sheep who needed to experience, discover and be transformed by the love of Jesus. Um, I want to highlight something to you guys, and I'm sure you've all heard it before. But Jesus said to go. Not to sit and wait and hope, but to go. If it had been up to me to come to church on my own, I think my journey would look a lot different. As it was, coming to and engaging in church and Bible study and Jan camp with Beck and Jess by my side were still very intimidating prospects. I won't limit God and the power of the Holy Spirit to work in people by saying that we cannot ever expect people to come to us. That has and continues to happen. But Jesus said, go for a reason. God didn't love us by waiting for us to make it to him. He sought us out. And if we are to love others in the way that we are first loved by him, then we are called to go too. And look, it might just be beyond the gate into the car park or over to the shops. It might be to the neighbour's front door or to your workmate's desk. Maybe it's into a scripture class or to the kids sitting by themselves. Maybe it's to sit next to the old fella on the bench waiting for his wife to finish in Rockman's or to the parent with the toddler chucking a panty and the baby on the hip at the checkout in Woolies. Maybe it's the lady who you see every day for hours on end in her garden because she lives alone and who will chat with anyone who passes because that's her interaction. Or the one who sits at the bus stop a few metres up the road from her house and wants to know your children's names. Or the one who thanks you for the kindness of letting them look at your baby because COVID. Or maybe it's to the couple who cross the street into your path as you're on your prayer walk. And if some of those sound oddly specific, it's because some of those are from my experience. And mostly I kick myself for them because I can recognise in hindsight that very few of them I capitalised on because the enemy is so very good at lying. And if it wasn't for a tall, amicable American fellow somewhere over there on a log, um, that last one, that couple crossing the road on a prayer walk, I would have let that one go by too. Um, because of my fear, because of my weakness. But my weakness was Todd's strength. And maybe my weakness is your strength. Maybe your weakness is my strength. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Or at least one of the beauties. God has carefully, intentionally placed each one of us in our exact time 
an exact place with purpose and a plan. Our gifts and our strengths and passions are not just for blessing and serving one another. There are sheep out there that need to know what Jesus did for them. And I personally need each one of you. I need church to point me to Jesus so that I have the courage and the skills and I am equipped to point others to him too. So is it more important to care for the sheep in the paddock or those outside who need Jesus more? Um, so... If you didn't catch it, there's kind of this uh, tension sometimes where the church is about the inward and focusing on the, the sheep in the paddock or whether its focus should be outward, the sheep out there. Porque no nos dos, right? Why not both? Okay. Um, what I want you to um, have a bit of a think about now, whether it's just on your own jotting some things down or whether it's chatting with a group, um, in the past or now or even looking to the future what are some ways that we as a, as a church as Christ's body can help others out there as well as us in here to experience and to discover and to continue to be transformed by the love of Jesus um, just in case you would like some ideas I will find them okay how about this a repair cafe all of these really handy knowledgeable skilled people in our community what if one of the ways that we are connected with people but also fought environmental waste what if it was that there was a space where people could come and instead of having to throw their things out they um they were able to access the knowledge and the skills of people in this community to fix something instead of buying a new one. What if we had a share shed or a community library where we all had things that, you know, the things that we've bought for one time or we don't use very often, but as a community, we pulled these things together and instead of people having to go to Bunnings to buy that specific thing to tighten or loosen their taps um it was already there and you could just borrow it and we share as a community and it's not just us it's a way to get people in as well what if um there were hobby groups what if there were people in this community who just love to share how they cook or love to share how they sew and repair their stuff or how they they built their grandkids billy cart or or what it is whatever it is um maybe it's play group what about a community garden? We have so many green thumbs in this church, not looking at anyone specific, we have so many green thumbs in this church who could make anything grow out of concrete, I'm fairly sure. And what if we found, not doesn't have to be here because here maybe we're limited by a fence, but maybe if we approach the council, there's some space in the community where our green thumbs could be put to use and where we're not just gardening next to someone. Pearl, I know you said that at the Working Bee, you loved working side by side with someone. Not just that. What if we could share our projects with people? What if that was a way to bring people and to connect with them? Maybe it's a cafe and we have people who love coffee and who are good at making coffee. 
and I know young parents, sometimes it's a struggle to find a space where you can have your kids safely and still meet and talk with adults and have adult conversation. Look at the space we've got. Just, you know, in case you're wondering, for $7,500, we could get a perfectly kitted out uh, mobile coffee cart that we could just wheel in and wheel out and get Facebook Marketplace. Um, what about community lunches? I was reading some stats on the St. Clair community alone, and I'll share the website with you guys. There are 700 or so people in the St. Clair community alone who live by themselves. And look, in the grand scheme of the 20,000 people roughly who live in St. Clair, 700 doesn't sound much. But could you imagine if those 700 people showed up to a community lunch because that was the only interaction that they were going to get for the day? Um, letterbox drops, door knocking, Christmas carols by candlelight, scripture, chaplaincy, youth groups, coach mentoring, an exercise or a walking group. A seven-day drop-in space. I don't know. There are just some ideas. Um, hopefully I didn't overload you too much, but I just got excited making that list. Um, so, what was your job? Um, if you want to, just some ideas around how we as a church um, can continue to help others outside of the paddock and us in it to experience, discover, and be transformed by the love of Jesus. I'll leave you guys to do that another time. I'll just finish off. Um, I'll just finish off with a couple of things. Firstly, the harvest is plentiful out there. But can we sometimes look around and see truly that the work is a few? And what do we need to do? And I could tell myself this. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The one who knew us and created us with intention and purpose in Christ Jesus to do good work, which he prepared in advance for us. That means that even though we may not know, God does. And when we pray to our Lord who we know will provide, we can trade any anxiety or uncertainty or confusion for peace. We can surrender it all and be free to act from where we are with whatever we have, no matter how small. And we don't have to have all the answers. God only asks us that we follow in faith. That's it.